0: Welcome to Refrangible. I'm your host, Jonathan Fields.
1: And I'm Jonah Chester.
2: Well, let's leave these girls and go on down the hall and see what we have in this cottage. And we have with your us Your headphones there's... aren't I...
0: broken. What you're hearing is archival tapes from the 1940s, interviews with staff who ran the University of Wisconsin Madison's practice cottage.
1: UW-Madison's original practice cottage was purchased in 1912 with the goal of teaching live-in students through practical application of what they learned. In the case of this archival material, it's medicine and nursing.
0: The audio has slowly dissolved over the decades, the result of acid buildup on the original recording. The compound was likely left by fatty acids present on the end of human fingertips, the result of improper handling across the years.
1: Most of the interviews are incomprehensible, but occasionally you'll hear a voice through the static, pushing through the decades of wear and tear.
2: Now, um, you like to have the girls in
0: these cottages live um, as a family, I suppose. Yes, we do, and I think they'd rather do that in our family. We are somewhat smaller group than they are in the other cottages. In this episode, we'll be exploring the intersection of home and school and the lessons we can draw from domestic classrooms of the 20th century.
1: According to the UW archives, the original practice cottage was demolished in the early 1950s, but its spiritual successor, the home management house, carried on its role on campus until it was eventually converted into office space for faculty. But Barbara Tensfeld remembers it in the time before its transformation.
2: A home economics education major and it was a requirement that you spend I think it was maybe two weeks in the home management house the neat thing was that it was in the middle of campus and so you know getting to class you didn't have to get up quite as early I think we thought more about the convenience of it all by the time I got to the home management house, it was coming to an end, and that was the last year. I think it was in the fall of uh, 69. We were there in a time of transition when um, people were rethinking the um, relevance, I think, of having that particular activity. Once we got there, uh, the pressure to perform was not what we had expected it to be. The actual experience was nothing like the legend. I guess maybe that's the best way to put it. Um, they talked about, you know, the white glove treatment after you, after you cleaned the person who was um, in charge of uh, supervision, you know, you did the white glove. You always wondered if there was someone looking over your shoulder. We were uh, managing a house. So you're making up your menus, you're, you're sticking with a budget, you're um, cooking, you're cleaning, um, you're doing the laundry, you're doing the things that you would do in your home. Uh, but we were always under the impression that there was someone who was grading you on every step of the, every step of the way and um, it didn't turn out to be that way anyway for me, it didn't. You know, home economics then and now has never been about the practical aspects. I always knew that when when I came to the University of Wisconsin, um, they were not going to teach me how to cook or how to sew or how to ma- necessarily manage a house. They were going to tell me why I was, I, you know, we were going to talk about the science of why we were doing certain things, why you put ingredients together um, in, a, in a certain fashion, in a, in a certain order, I should say, or why you whipped some things and why you folded. You know, it was more the chemistry of it all than, and the, the science of what we were doing versus how to actually do it. What does it take to maintain a home, and then who's going to do all the different jobs? Yeah, we did over that two-week period, which really is a short period of time. Um, there, you maybe were assigned to four times that you made dinner, or you know, in planning the menus, you planned for you were you planning menus and making sure you stayed in a budget, or you were in charge of uh, making sure the house was cleaned, or you were taking care of the ironing, which. I think about you know. I was thinking about this. The one really neat thing about the home management house was they had a mangle, and I really was kind. I kind of liked ironing, but so the opportunity to to work a mangle was was a highlight for me. A mangle, and I haven't used one since. So it was the one and only time. It's it's uh, basically a a, an ironing to a tool for ironing things flat. And back then, we did have to, uh, when we ate dinner, uh, we ate as a, ate together. We did have to use tablecloths and ta- and uh, and uh, cloth napkins, but this was just the slickest way to iron uh, a tablecloth and and the napkins because you just these flat rollers and you stuck the uh, the flat napkins through it. So yeah, it was pretty cool. We had to entertain a couple of, uh, of faculty. That was at kind of the culmination of our, our uh, ex- two weeks there was to entertain. And there again, it was the whole idea of, of understanding, you know, what does it take to entertain and conversation. Not just what you feed them, but uh, how you treat them while they're with you. So. It had lost its way, which was why it was was going away. It had lost its relevance in the current day. I don't know that um, it has any big memories other than than the uh, mangle. <laughs> yeah, still, that that was that was the highlight. It was it was a home. It was a lovely home, um, but it was just a very short experience. So.
1: Dr. Elizabeth Hooper Lane, a child of professors in the School of Human Ecology, remembers the home in its waning years.
3: My experience with the home management house was, I would say, probably when I was was uh, the 1970s and the 1980s, and we started going there when I was in elementary school, and what struck me about it was that it seemed like there wasn't much of a separation between home and work. My parents were both, you know, full-time professors. And so they would be working at home. And then when we would see them at work, it looked like a home that we were in. So that was kind of interesting.
0: I swear I remember that house. But I don't know if it's because I've looked at it so much now in photographs or if I actually had that memory. So my experience with the house is sort of like through this haze of did it really happen?
3: I definitely have very concrete memories of it. And we it was always really uh, a fun place to be. My parents both had their offices were at the top of the stairs. So the house had this wonderful entrance into this big beautiful hallway with a long staircase and an open railing. And we would run up that staircase and then the two bedrooms in that corner at the back of the house were where their offices were. And we were, you know, the faculty were all so wonderful. We would run around and um, pound up and down the halls. (laughs) And it'd be interesting (laughs) to talk to some of them about what it felt like to
0: be at work and have kids running around
3: like you were in your own
0: house do you understand or did you understand what the pr- actual purpose of the house was?
3: Well, I mean by the time we were there it it had completely changed. So all of the spaces that were would have been domestic had been changed into office space or seminar space. You know, I remember m- my dad would conduct his seminars in the dining room where it still seemed like it was a big dining room table with chairs around it, but that was the only houseness, really, that was left. Um, my understanding from hearing them talk about it and, and other things that I've read about it was that it was a place for home ec students to practice running a house and and to uh, practice those skills in, in managing a domestic environment.
0: I felt like when I left and went to college that I had all those experiences. Of, of not necessarily uh, managing a budget for the entire house. but I certainly went grocery shopping with my father. My mother would send me with him because she knew that if she sent me with him, he would have to come home and not visit every friend and talk to everybody along the way. By the time we got there, the ice cream would be melted. Yeah. so it was so that's what I'm trying to like sort of figure out like uh, if you came to the house with those skills, again, how would you perfect them there?
3: All throughout my parents' careers, involvement in so-called home economics, they were always struggling to legitimize what they were studying and the research that they were doing. And so in a way, I have always thought that that home management house was a way to sort of scientize home economics and, you know, sort of following in Beecher's footsteps and, and, you know, doing time studies and, and uh, all of those kinds of um, scientific experiments to sort of legitimize the fact that studying about the social aspects of the domestic world is, is something legit.
0: And I'm, and I'm wondering then, Liz, with this experience, with this background, with this sort of, I don't know if it's overreaching to say footing in the home management house, and now with the work that you do with design studies and architecture and art history, do you see an influence that house may have had on what you do currently?
3: Well, I mean, it might be reaching to say that the house itself had an effect, but I, I would certainly say that the experience, the experiences that we as a family had with that within that space um it could have been any other space probably but the experiences that we had and watching my parents go through the tenure battle i think that it really changed my approach to academia in that i prioritized my family rather than my career and so i ended up becoming what my son calls a mercenary scholar um, mm. and rather than pursuing a tenure track position, I des- we decided we wanted to raise our family here and stay in Madison. And so I've built a career around teaching rather than research. And so I, I guess you could say that that experience with the Home Management House definitely affected the way that I have approached my combination of work and family.
0: I'm wondering if it also had any influence or effect on how you look at interior design. Because it seems to me, and again, you know, still doing my research on the practice house and really wanting to find people who experienced it as the home management house, that it ha- there was a particular idea of what a home should look like and how it should be maintained.
3: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely... Um an interesting combination because it was a very traditional uh, design, very traditional colonial revival house. Um, But then we, we kind of watched it. And my sister and I really were there a lot together. Um, We kind of watched it getting chopped apart and, and, you know, the big living room having fake walls put up so there could be multiple offices there um, we saw the basement get remodeled into um, a, a space where graduate students could practice doing family therapy. And so there was like a, a new living room they installed in the basement and they, they wanted it to look very much like a living room, like you were in a home rather than in an office or you know in a psychiatrist's office. And I remember that they did – they turned um, – They created a fake window so that it looked as if there were curtains in front of the window. And I just was fascinated by that. And and there was a light so that it looked like hidden behind. So it looked like there was sunlight coming through. And I was just so fascinated with the way they could create this fake space. I don't know if it has informed the the way that I think about style or design. Um, But, I mean, I've always just always been interested in interiors. And, and, you know, my undergraduate degree is actually in interior architecture. So I, I, it's so funny. I haven't really ever thought about how that experience in that space would have, it would have been really different if my mom and dad were in an, you know, were in Van Heys or humanities. Yeah. Yeah.
0: As we moved into and are hopefully coming out of the pandemic As someone who looks at interior design, if we're seeing sort of resurgence in that and turning a home into a multifunctional space.
3: Oh, definitely. I definitely agree with that. You know, I mean, I've watched my sister lives around the corner and I've watched her um, with with one kid who's in college, one who just moved out and one who's about to leave for college, a boyfriend who's moved in and out, both of them working at home. the kids doing high school remotely. My husband and I have turned our dining room into our office. We never eat in here anymore. I mean, there, there's definitely this whole uh, new new approach to thinking about home and work and that combination.
0: I'm, so Liz, as you look on the horizon and you're seeing design and you see the cycles, what drives these cycles? We talked about the you know the pandemic driving the home from home to work, but what really drives the change in how we think about homes and interiors and the architecture of a home, even externally? I mean, it just seems that you know we go through these phases, you know, the 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 small home designed to be efficient and affordable. And then we have the lustrous, and I'm not I'm jumping around, I'm not doing a true a true timeline, but we look at the, the lustron home that was created so that you could have quick housing for people returning from the war. Then we see, you know, the ranch style, the cottage, we see McMansions, now tiny homes. What drives these, what what appears from the outside looking in, what sort of drives these wild swings and how we think about home and how we think about design for home?
3: Well, I think I, 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 what I always think of in teaching this is that it's completely related to sociopolitical context. You know, you've just mentioned some of the major world events when you've got wars, you've got uh, pandemics, you've got, I think now climate change is a huge motivation for people to change their living habits. And, you know, as we look back through history, it seems like when we have these, big shifts in economics or politics, um, uh, social attitudes towards things, that vision of home really changes. It's been, it's interesting, you know, my, both my husband and I, our, our mothers grew up in very strict um, 1950s households where you you do things a certain way and you keep things a certain way and Chris and I have made a lot of decisions in our lives to not prioritize a lot of things, including a lot of different cleaning tasks, for example. And it's been, um, and I've talked to my sister-in-law about this too, where we've had to come to grips with our own decisions about this, and just stop worrying about it and stop feeling guilty about it. Our way of life changed from the way that our mothers lived, and. And it's been really a, a nice experience to have both of my mother and mother-in-law live here. And we get together with them almost every weekend. And you know what? They've stopped saying things <laughs> about the dust in the corner or, you know, the, that unpainted grate or something. And so I think social attitudes also have a huge impact um, on the, the way that we look at home and things that we value and prioritize about that space.
0: Liz, to hear you say that, the stress and anxiety that cleaning my own place used to cause me based solely on the voice in my head of my mother and my grandmother. You didn't wash your windows this week? Yeah. (sighs) You didn't sweep before you? What you didn't sweep before you vacuumed? A friend of mine, a dear 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 friend of mine, Jen. We were talking one day, and I don't know why we were talking about cleaning. She's like, "Yeah, I never sweep. I vacuum all the time." And the light bulb that went off in my head had to have been blinding because she looked at me like, "What? <laughs> Cuz it never dawned on me that I could just vacuum and not sweep." Yeah. never dawned on me never I never thought about that it took me I can't tell you how long to go to bed with dishes in the sink
3: that's a good one yeah that that's that's funny and when you're when you're living with a partner then you've got a whole nother set of issues there i I don't like to go to bed with the dishes in the sink but Chris likes to do the dishes in the morning. And so there you've got a whole nother set of his issues coming in from his past and his expectations from his family now merging together with mine. And now we're come, you know, after 30 years of marriage, we're, we've got it down fairly well, but now it's interesting to watch the, our boys going to develop their own thing with their new relationships. So it's, you know, it's just so interesting how we are so beholden to those expectations that we were raised with.
0: For so long, especially when you think of like the home management practice college, I keep having to go back to that. How you kept a home was your identity. Oh, yeah. Now it feels like it's just an extension of who you are.
3: Oh, oh, that's an interesting distinction. Yes, I agree. So it isn't so much about how you keep your home, um, and, and and you're you know I have to keep it up this way. So it's sort of like keeping up with the Joneses idea. Sort of you know there are expectations you need to maintain. Now yes, it's like these young twenty somethings. They're like my niece's bedrooms in in my sister's house. They're these wonderful little cocoons of self expression. And it, it is as if like their, their, their core, their being extends out into their clothing, extends out into their, their room and, and the space they're building around themselves. So that's a really interesting distinction.
0: Listening to Refrangible, a production of the Center for Design and Material Culture at the University of Wisconsin Madison. And thanks to our guests for this episode Barbara Tinsfeld, retired and professional volunteer, and Dr. Elizabeth Hooper Lane, senior lecturer at UW Madison and Oshkosh.
1: If you haven't already, be sure to hit subscribe and leave a review. You can also give us a shout out on social media and let us know what you think about the show, or if you have any thoughts or recommendations for future episodes. Just tweet at UW underscore CDMC. And until next time, I'm Jonah Chester.
0: And I'm your host, Jennifer Field. And we'll see you soon.